0: Hello, and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes. My name is Mark Leonard, Director of the European Council of Foreign Relations, and I am coming to you today to show that it's not true there's no such thing as a free lunch, or at least a free podcast. This is a special bonus episode of the podcast, where we are bringing to you exclusively a free sample from my new book, The Age of Unpeace. How connectivity causes conflict. What you will get now is a chunk of the first chapter of the book. If you enjoy it, you can buy it in audio format as a hardback or as an ebook from all trusted bookshops and platforms. And we're also very happy to offer a special competition for World in 30 Minutes listeners. Because of popular demand, we're going to be hosting a special Ask the Author Anything podcast about this book. And anybody is invited to send in a question, either as a voicemail recording or as a text, to mark.leonard at ecfr.eu. The best question will be rewarded with a rare signed copy of The Age of Unpeace. Enjoy! We may be on the cusp of a new silent pandemic. Like COVID-19, it's rampaging across the planet, spreading exponentially exponentially exploiting the cracks in our network world and constantly mutating to evade our defences. But unlike the virus, which pits all of humanity against the disease, this new pandemic is being deliberately transmitted from human to human. It's not a biological force, but a set of toxic behaviours that are multiplying like a virus. The connections between people and countries are becoming weapons. Just look at our response to COVID. There have not been enough vaccines, masks and gowns to go round. And rather than working together to increase global supplies, countries have used their stocks to bully others. When the virus first struck, the Chinese government hoarded medicines, masks and PPE. And when it spread, these supplies were used to bribe and to blackmail. China's allies, Brazil, Serbia and Italy, were showered with masks and vaccines. But more critical states like Australia, France, the Netherlands, Sweden and the United States of America face threats to withhold supplies unless their governments change policy. These toxic connections are not just about trade. In America, when the Black Lives Matter protests raged over the George Floyd murder, a wave of African social media posts called for violence against the fascist police. It looked like a global political awakening, but it was orchestrated by troll factories in Ghana and Nigeria, funded by the Russian state. Conflict over technology itself is affecting the world's biggest companies. Google and Huawei had worked together closely for years, building a partnership between the most successful handset maker And the most widely used operating system. But when America put the Chinese handset maker on a banned list, Google banned Huawei from its Android platform, leaving millions unable to update their phones and plunging China's tech giant into crisis. Even states that are allies often seem to end up at loggerheads. For example, in December 2020, British supermarkets ran out of fruit and vegetables when the French government closed its borders. The ban on British lorries was ostensibly to control Covid, but it also put the squeeze on Downing Street in the Brexit endgame. And while superpowers flex their muscles, weaker countries are making use of similar tactics to strike back. In the same year, the Iranian Navy seized oil tankers to protest against crippling sanctions, their piracy designed to break support for a financial blockade. A few months earlier, in nearby Turkey, the President opened his country's borders to Greece, urging millions of Syrian refugees to seek a better life in Europe. His goal was not to help them follow their dreams, but to use the threat of a wave of refugees to extort concessions from the European Union. What do Chinese bullying, Russian trolling... American regulation, French blockades, Iranian piracy and Turkish blackmail have in common. They were not random accidents like an asteroid falling from the sky or an earthquake, but new types of political violence. Each was a weapon perfectly evolved to exploit a weakness in our connected world. Each time one country uses one, another reciprocates, creating a deadly spiral of tensions. And as we get further into the 21st century, their use is spreading to pandemic proportions. Unwar and Unpeace This is a short book with a simple idea that the connections that knit the world together are also driving it apart. In a world where war between nuclear powers is too dangerous even to contemplate, Countries are waging conflicts by manipulating the very things that link them together. Great power politics has become like a loveless marriage where the couple can't stand each other's company but are unable to get divorced. And as with an unhappy couple, it's the things that we share during the good times that become the means to harm during the bad ones. In a collapsing marriage, Vindictive partners will use the children, the dog and the holiday home to hurt each other. In geopolitics, it's trade, finance, the movement of people, pandemics, climate change and above all the internet that are being weaponised. And as will become apparent later, it is connectivity itself that gives people the opportunity to fight, the reasons to compete and the arsenal to deploy. Rather than eliminating competition between countries, the deep interdependence seems to fuel it. Economic coercion is nothing new, but the hidden wiring of globalisation is, and the ways that it's being manipulated give sanctions, blockades and PR campaigns a viral quality and deadliness that did not exist before our world was defined by networks. Although the journalist Thomas Friedman claimed that our globalised world is flat, it is in fact just the opposite, an uneven and mountainous network. Some countries are more central to the system than others. They can cut rival nations off and use their control of hubs to assert their power, as America does with the dollar and its control of the internet, or China with its manufacture of medical supplies and access to rare earths. But even weak countries can target the strong with the right leverage as Iran is doing by blocking shipping routes or Turkey by using refugees as pawns. Should we think of these new conflicts as connectivity wars? Sort of, but not quite. The alternation between war and peace has shaped human history, defining the borders of our countries and influencing the nature of our social contracts. The structure of our economies and the purpose of our politics. It's captured our imaginations and inspired some of our greatest poems and novels. However, Tolstoy would not be able to write a masterpiece like War and Peace if he were alive today. Nobody could, because the distinction between war and peace has broken down. The rules of war state that it should take place between sovereign states. It should begin with a declaration and end with a peace treaty. And the combatants should be soldiers who are clearly distinguished by their uniforms. Those kinds of conventional wars have all but disappeared. They haven't happened in Europe or America since the Second World War. And although the wars in the Middle East and Africa are tragic, the number of people they kill is tiny in historical terms. For the last couple of decades, more people have committed suicide than died in armed combat. Karl von Clausewitz famously called war the continuation of politics by other means. But in a nuclear age, the price of war is unfathomable. That's why connectivity conflicts are becoming the other means of global politics. They're less costly, they're more effective. As a result, they're becoming more prevalent. And as they proliferate across the world, they're killing many more people than conventional warfare. Rather than playing out on the land, air and seas, the new struggles exist on the internet, border controls, technology, supply chains and our financial system. They've brought conflict back from the periphery of the global economy to its very core. Europe and America are just as affected as Africa or Latin America. The combatants in these struggles have changed too. In the old days, only a few great powers could fight across continents. But nowadays, millions of people can inflict harm on one another through the internet or terrorism. The victims are civilians rather than soldiers and they number in the millions rather than the thousands. Because connectivity conflicts do not produce the kind of dramatic, shareable video footage beloved by social media, most people think they're less lethal than conventional military conflicts. But just because we can't see body bags does not mean that these conflicts are not deadly. In fact, they've already blighted the lives of hundreds of millions of people. Sanctions, population expulsions and trade wars have been around for centuries. But until the world became organised around global supply chains, internet politics and a dollarized financial system, it was hard to strangle foreign economies and societies at so little cost to oneself. Sanctions have already killed hundreds of thousands, from Venezuela and Iran to Sudan and North Korea primarily by restricting access to food, medicines and electricity. Millions of civilians have been forced deliberately from their homes for political reasons in the last few decades, from Cuba and Kosovo to Libya and Turkey, to name just a few. Trade wars have cost tens of millions of jobs, from Russia and China to Germany and Canada, while cyber attacks have the potential to disrupt entire countries. The US Department of Homeland Security has identified 65 facilities in the US against which a single cyber attack would cause catastrophic harm, defined as causing or having the likelihood to cause $50 billion in economic damage, 2,500 fatalities or a severe degradation of our national security. Some of the most insidious cyber attacks to date have been attempts to hack democratic elections. Between the autumn of 2016 and the spring of 2019, there were attempts to interfere with national elections in 20 democracies, representing 1.2 billion people. If we add all of these up, it's clear that the body count for connectivity wars dwarfs that of conventional wars in the 21st century. Over the last two decades, fewer than 70,000 people a year on average have been killed in military conflicts while millions have been harmed by connectivity wars. And it's only going to get worse. But although connectivity conflicts are more common, more effective, and more deadly than conventional wars, we don't really recognise that they're happening and don't even have a term to describe them. As a result, the conventional wisdom is that we live in a golden age of peace. It's true that these new kinds of attack do not match the conventional definition of war. But how can we close our eyes to the tension and violence that's ripping through our world every day? Once we start to count the millions of casualties every year, we can hardly describe our era as one of peace. In fact, there's a word which starts to capture our liminal condition, suspended somehow between a state of war and one of peace. Academics such as Lucas Kello, who work on cyber, were looking for a term that describes the grey zone that their world was stuck in, where every day they saw millions of attacks which fell short of conventional war. They rehabilitated a beautiful Anglo Saxon word to describe disorder on the internet unpeace. And as violence spreads from the internet to trade, finance, migration, and beyond, their word provides a perfect encapsulation of our condition. We are having to get used to an unstable, crisis-prone world of perpetual competition and endless attacks between competing powers. Welcome to the Age of Unpeace. So that was a chunk of the first chapter of the Age of Unpeace, How Connectivity Causes Conflict. If you want to listen to the rest of it, you can buy an audio book, an ebook, or a hardback copy from your trusted bookshops. Please go on the internet and try and write it out. Or you could enter the ECFR competition to get a free copy of the book by sending a question to the Ask the Author Anything special episode to me at mark.leonard at ecfr.eu. But for now, from Mark Leonard, it's goodbye.